0: Filmspotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
1: The Sessions is now available on demand, featuring an Oscar-nominated performance from Ellen Hunt. Robot and Frank is also available, starring Frank Langella with Peter Sarsgaard as the voice of the robot.
0: The latest independent films are ready when you are, with Movies on Demand on Cable. The Art House is now in your house. This podcast is
1: also brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com SVU. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer,
0: and I'm Allison Wilmore. And this week on the show, we channel our need for speed and giving windmill high fives into our review of 1986's Top Gun.
1: Uh, like they get the Need for Speed thing in there within the first 60 seconds. It of was the it was necessary. Absolutely, I totally agree. Later, we'll bring you cue shots, our look at some of the current offerings on various streaming and VOD sites. All centered around a common theme and inspired by Top Gun. We were going... God, I would have been so excited for this. We were going to do an all Kenny Loggins podcast, but then we thought, rights issues, the guy we were going to get to accompany us on guitar flaked out. I didn't want to do the whole thing acapella, so I said, <laughs> this is it. Instead, we're going to look at some other definitive 80s movies.
0: But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight one title that's new on VOD and give you a rundown of some other notable films new on demand on cable. Matt, what's our first pick this week? This is it.
1: It being our pick. I think people really enjoyed us singing uh, Top Gun last time, so I, I'm gonna, just going to start in, Pretty soon, this show will be sung. It'll be like it'll cop be, rock. It'll, it'll
0: be just, a is of uh, podcast. Exactly,
1: yes. Movie Our podcasts. pick this week, Allison, <laughs> is called, uh, It's called In Our Nature. Uh, this is a, a really, really nice little film. I saw it at, at South by Southwest 2012, where it unfortunately seemed to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Maybe that's not too surprising because it's a very small-scale film. It's not very flashy. But if you're a fan of character dramas, if you're a fan of the kind of stuff that, like, BBS used to make in the 1970s, kind of that – maybe not dark, but adult, serious, you know, new Hollywood dramas, this is going to be something you're going to want to see for the cast, if uh, nothing else. It's got Gabrielle Union, Jenna Malone, Zach Gilford from Friday Night Lights, Matt uh, Saracen, And John Slattery from Mad Men, a fantastic cast. Slattery and Guilford play estranged father and son who, through an accident of scheduling, both wind up at their family's vacation home on the same weekend with their girlfriends. That's uh, Guilford with Malone and then Slattery with Gabrielle Union. And then the four of them have to kind of find a way to share this place very uncomfortably.
0: I've never met him, and I think it's just weird to run away. If you really wanted to, maybe you could stay for dinner. I'm actually a vegan. Are you a vegan, too? No, I'm vegetarian. Okay. So this is how you're trying to make up for it? Make up for what? How things went with your first family. Did it ever occur to you you might be happy for me? You can get a new house, you can get a new wife, you can get a new son, but I can't get a new dad. You think this just happened to you? We both made a choice. You didn't choose me, and I didn't choose you.
1: So it's basically The Great Outdoors, if you remember that movie, Allison, Mm -hmm. but it's serious and nuanced instead of, you know, really silly and broad. Nothing spectacular about it necessarily except the cast. And if you're a fan of John Slattery on Mad Men, oh man, he is really great in this. Not quite as, you know, flamboyant as he is in that, but he he has a few really standout scenes. There's a great scene where he smokes a joint with Jenna Malone, and it's like the first joint he's smoked in a long time, but... He sort of like, as he does it, you can see he like gets back into doing it and he's like a master pot smoker. It's really, really outstanding. That scene alone is almost worth the price of a mission by itself. Again, this is a a small scale film, but sometimes I find that those are the best movies to look at on VOD anyway. So that's In Our Nature, directed by Brian Savilson, and it's now available on VOD. Allison, do we have a few more picks this week?
0: We do. And all of these are currently available now on demand. Uh, The first one is Brooklyn Castle. This is a little documentary that actually ended up getting a lot of attention. It's directed by Katie Dellamgiore, and it is about a middle school in Brooklyn that happens to have one of the best chess teams in the country. And in general, it's always adorable to watch uh, in documentaries, kids doing like very grown up things, right? Like ballroom dancing or um, devoting themselves very seriously to word roots to learn uh, spelling. Mm -hmm. Right. And this does offer that as well. But it is a really interesting look at after school programs and like a kind of great case for how important they can be. Uh, You know, this is a public school in Brooklyn. So its kids are very diverse and they come from all different backgrounds and are oftentimes not, you know, if you associate chess with elderly white men, which uh, is probably unfair, but like is some maybe a kind of your stereotypical tendency. It's great to see this young community of people who are, like, so dedicated to chess and take it very seriously. So it's a really interesting doc. uh, That's Brooklyn Castle. Also, uh, new on demand, Celeste and Jesse Forever, directed by Lee Tolan Krieger and written by Rashida Jones, who also stars in the movie, along with Will McCormick. You know, this movie, I I really, it surprised me. I, I liked it a lot. It offered this very... It's not necessarily uh, that cute. I think like it, it offers a, a portrayal of a relationship that you think is going to be very twee. Uh, Jones stars in the film uh, alongside Andy Samberg as the, a couple who married very young and are separating, except they still spend all of their time together. And I think it actually got at some pretty interesting and dark uh, and kind of honest things about friendship versus romance and about how you can kind of try and keep someone around even when it's unfair to them. And I think so. It's like I kind of it was kind of a nice story about growing up and growing apart. So that's Celeste and Jesse forever. And finally, uh, a film I haven't seen, but has also gotten, I, I think, a lot of attention as, as given that it's a pretty quiet film. It's a late quartet directed by Yaron uh, Zilberman. And stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, Catherine Keener, Christopher Walken, Wallace Shawn. Uh, It's about a string quartet who has been together for 25 years and about all of the complicated dynamics in it, particularly when the oldest member of the quartet learns that he's going to have to give it up, that he's because of an illness. Uh, And, you know, with a cast like that, you know that you're going to at least get great performances. So that's one I'm really interested in checking out. That is a late quartet. We've also got Audible back as a sponsor this week. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Matt, do you have a recommended title this week?
1: I do. It's the book I'm reading right now, actually. It's called Marvel Comics The Untold Story, written by Sean Howe and narrated unabridged for 17 something hours by Stephen Hoy. This is a lengthy history of the repeated rises and falls of Marvel Comics, the House of Ideas, that gave us Spider Man and the X Men and the Avengers and many, many more characters. And while I've read a lot of books about the history of the comic book business Men of Tomorrow, Tales to Astonish, Stanley, and the Rise and Fall of the American Comic Book, this one, I think, gives a little bit of a different perspective on it in that it really just focuses on this one company. So while you You get characters like Stanley, like Jack Kirby, and you also get a sense of the management of the company and how they treated the artists, the freelancers, how they took their creations in many cases for very little money and just profited off them for decades and and, and let their creators basically just uh, fade into obscurity and, and suffer sometimes in old age these really sad fates because they they didn 't get a share of the revenues that these creations generated for these huge companies but that's really i think the the background mainly if you're curious about marvel comics if you see these movies coming out now and you go how did this happen how did we get this this company becoming this billion dollar juggernaut in the entertainment industry Uh, this is going to give you a very good look at that in an entertaining form it's marvel comics the untold story and you can get it for free on uh, audible
0: for Marvel Comics The Untold Story or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash SVU. That's audiblepodcast.com slash SVU. Sure.
1: there you're hearing some of the dulcet tones of joe esposito in his classic song you're the best from the karate kid which may come up a little later in this segment which is q shots and we're going to be talking about 80s movies and one of the things i wanted to get across as we're talking in a general way first of all was as i was looking at lists of 80s movies and thinking about it it's Every classic 80s movie or almost every classic 80s movie has a theme song or a musical moment that defines it. And it's not just – this is not like a Martin Scorsese take Be My Baby and put it in my movie and give it a new meaning. This is – the song almost has no meaning outside or before the movie that it's in. So in this case, when you hear You're the Best, you don't think of anything except – karate kid except daniel russo fighting in the all valley karate tournament you know that's it that's that's what it is and and i think most of the movies we're going to recommend here are going to have maybe even more than one moment like that allison do you have any thoughts why that might be why the 80s we so closely define with musical moments and theme songs and why that became such a trend in the
0: 80s i don't know part of me wants to give what is probably the cynical answer and say like Soundtracks were commodities then. Right. You know, like I, Top Gun, which we'll talk about later, had, I think it went nine times platinum. Like, that's incredible. You Guys, know? the music
1: in Top Gun is not that good. <laughs> but you're right. It was <laughs> a huge I mean? phenomenon. It
0: was huge, yeah. And I wonder if in it, the 80s were also maybe the prime decade of the blockbuster, right? Which started in the mid 70s with Jaws and then really came into its own in the 80s. And I think that all of the films we talk about in this in in this section are like big successes
1: right so maybe this was a refinement of the blockbuster as money-making strategy perhaps that another revenue stream that you could bring from a, a movie was to make some sort of song that you could market along with it
0: right well because also i you know it's interesting reading about a lot of the films that we picked or like other ones That uh, some key 80s movies, a lot of them were not on streaming, but, you know, that they often spawned uh, merchandising or not even just merchandising, but like sales of like aviator sunglasses for Top Gun went, you know, through the roof, uh, bomber jackets, haircuts. Like there was a real there was
1: a connection between the zeitgeist and like marketing. It was like if you could like catch a trend and then sell it. You could not only like boost the sales of your movie, the ticket sales, you could almost boost the trend, whatever you were piggybacking off of, whether it was aerobics, whether it was, you know, really nice suits, whether it was – I remember – like, I, I, when you say 80s movies, even though we're not going to talk about it on the show, I think of like Batman as a very definitive 80s movie in terms of this thing we're talking about, this phenomenon of marketing and, and merchandising. And I remember kids in my neighborhood getting the Batman logo shaved into their heads. Which is so incredibly stupid. But it happened. I can think of like two different kids on my block that had it. And I can remember going to my mother and be like, let's do that. And she's like, no. Absolutely that not. That is not happening. <laughs> so then I did it to myself. No, I'm just kidding. It's still there. I can yeah. see it. The other problem, in terms of the music, the other thing I, I, we have to at least mention is MTV. I think that that became, you know, obviously that was the, de- the really the decade of MTV as a music hub. And that became another way to advertise your movie. You know, put a song in it. Make a music video and then put it on the network and you've got another way of of selling your movie. So I've, I think that probably played a role as well. Did we have any defining characteristics to the 80s movie? For me, like I wasn't looking for the best movie of the 1980s. We were – when we say 80s movies, we were th- – like what do you – like when you close your eyes and I say the phrase 80s movies – These are the movies that come to your head, not necessarily Raging Bull, which might be like the greatest movie of the 80s. But that's not what I think of. I think we're thinking of something else. So uh, and I think you already mentioned not everything you think of is on streaming. Like for me, like the two first movies that come to my head, neither one are really available on streaming right now. would be like Ghostbusters and Wall Street. Those to me are almost like the two defining 80s movies in some ways. They might make an interesting double feature. They're both about capitalism in different ways, but those are not available on streaming. But I think we've got some very iconic 80s movies here and maybe a little less iconic to give people some recommendations that are a little more off the beaten path. Are you going to start? Do you want me to? I think you should
0: start. We actually both have one film on our in our picks that we had not seen before. Right. So uh, with fresh eyes, we look back at this at this other era. Right. And they're
1: both produced by perhaps the key producing duo of the 1980s, which in my mind is Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, who really pioneered the the, the formula that we were just talking about, where the blockbuster uh, with all these different. Added bonuses. They always had a theme song. They always had these incredible montages. They always brought a little bit of not only music and making music uh, a sellable element, but bringing like the idea of music video editing to their movies. And I think that's something we could talk about with Top Gun a little bit later. I really felt that watching that movie. But really, it's a perfect segue into my first pick, which was produced by Bruckheimer and Simpson. This was really their first movie as a producing team. And it was a surprise hit. I had never seen it before, and it's called Flashdance from 1983. It was directed by Adrian Lyon, who is another very successful director of the 1980s. He, he directed this. He directed Fatal Attraction, which is another iconic 1980s movie, which I actually think is also available on streaming. Flashdance is available on Netflix, and this stars Jennifer Beals in what I has to be her most famous role, right?
0: Definitely. It is, yeah.
1: And what's so interesting about it is it's her most famous role, maybe her only famous role. And what made the movie famous, what made her famous, is something she did not actually do, which is the dancing in the movie. She did not flash dance. For the <laughs> most part, the dancing was performed by a body double. Uh, her name was Marine Jahan. And what's fascinating watching this movie, at least from my perspective now in 2013, is it is so obvious that Jennifer Beals is not dancing in this movie. I've never seen a dance movie that went to more pains to hide the face of the person who's dancing. Uh, when she's dancing in the beginning of the movie with that iconic shot, which is Allison, what? The most famous shot in Flash Dance. The like, water splashing the water, down. Yeah,
0: Come so, on! I was like, are you talking about the audition at the end? No, well, that's famous too, but
1: you know, that she's sitting in the chair and she has yes, water she pulls splash, the, Yes, of course. Which would... Really, be an unsanitary thing for an exotic dancing there are club to do. A lot
0: of questions I have about the the club that we can discuss in a bit. But. Okay,
1: I can't wait to do that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean wh- that whole scene is basically backlit in the extreme. So that- and you can never see her face. I think that's really fascinating that this movie is about this girl who's got these dreams. I'm going to be a dancer as long as my body double shows up in time to do these scenes for me. Anyway, yes, she is an exotic dancer by day and also a welder by day. She has two jobs. The story here is almost shockingly simplistic. It is she is a welder. And also an exotic dancer. And she dreams of being a, like in a conservatory. She wants a she job. Wants to be a real she wants to be a real dancer classy type. dancer type. Yeah. But she's afraid. She's afraid because she has these cra- – because she break dances and she does all these crazy dance moves at her exotic dancing. She doesn't think she'll get in. And it takes her new boyfriend and it takes her grandmother and it takes a friend to convince her to audition. And that's all—that's the entire movie. Like, there's no villain, per se. There's a couple of minor villains. There's a few subplots about her friends who work at this exotic dancing club with her. Another fellow dancer, the cook, who wants to be a stand-up co- But that's it. There's no plot in this movie. It is just dancing and welding and Jennifer Beals looking cute in a sweatshirt that's all out of proportion— and it's just a steel town girl on a Saturday night, Alice, and that's it. I could not believe how simplistic this movie was. <laughs> I'll go out on a limb. I'll say it was only successful because of the dancing, because of the music, which is brilliantly chosen. You know those famous songs, "Maniac" and "What a Feeling," and it. I and mean, that's it. it why was this movie so successful, Allison? Was that it? It just caught on this. It just hit the right mix of music. And it had those a few iconic images they could put in a trailer, like her splashing water on
0: herself. It was an underdog story. You know, it was about having a dream. I would like also like to say, she's not even really an exotic dancer. I think this is the thing that's like important to to say about well, the what bar is dancing. she? I don't know. That's the thing is like, she doesn't strip, right? She
1: does a little stripping a little. in one of the, I think in that first dance, she does take a few of her clothes off. Yeah yeah but again she's so backlit you can barely see it and then the rest of it you're right it's just sort of like gigolo dancing is that a thing did i I I just make up a thing
0: (laughs) but i mean like you know know, so it is weird in that it's not like she's but she's also like dancing in her
1: underwear Right, and then later her friend goes to like a legit strip club, exactly. and then she has like a moral moment. She like yes. pulls the girl out, and she's like, "You're better than this." Exactly. I'm like, "Is she really that much better than this?" Exactly. I don't, is it really so bad to be? A, I mean, it, obviously she's not making enough money at this crappy exotic non-strip club because she's got to be a welder. Yes. People be exotic dancers so they don't have to do other jobs. That's the job you do, so you don't have to have a day job. So obviously this place isn't paying her enough. So maybe she should go to. Anyway, we're getting off track. <laughs> do I think it's a good movie? No, I don't. But I do think it's a fascinating movie. I was riveted by this movie because it was so simple and basic in a way that I guess made it so popular. It was, it, like you said, underdog story. Boom. Everyone's got it. Dancing. Everyone loves dancing. And so and the dancing is, is really cool. I will say that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I was just, like, mesmerized by how basic it is. Flashdance, available on Netflix What's your first pick, Alison? My
0: first pick is Beverly Hills Cop, the first installment in what became a trilogy. I had never seen the first installment. I'd seen the second like a long time ago. And directed by Tony Scott. Directed by Tony Scott. And
1: they're all produced by, or at least the first two were produced by Bruckheimer Simpson. Yes. Who also produced Top Gun. So we're really bringing it all together. Bringing
0: it all together here. Uh, the third one uh, was in the 90s. It did not come around until the 90s. By that point, the franchise was pretty beaten to the ground. Yeah, the third one's horrible. <laughs> yes. But uh, 1984, Beverly Hills Cop, streaming on Netflix, directed by Mark. Martin Brest, who also did Scent of a Woman, Meet Joe Black, and Geely, Uh, starring Eddie Murphy as Detroit police detective Axel Foley. This was actually nominated for a Best Screenplay Academy Award. Wow. So think about that. Also really interesting, before Murphy came to the role... Mickey Rourke was slated to take it, and then Sylvester Stallone. Well, Sylvester Stallone, Stallone yeah, yeah, that's
1: the famous one. And yeah. it was supposed to be a deadly serious right. movie. Exactly. About it was
0: gritty. A was tough guy to
1: from Detroit, yeah, investigating in a case in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And then he, I guess, dropped out or didn't want to do it. And then they brought
0: in Eddie Murphy. And it became an uh, action comedy. It is, I have to say, uh, I was surprised watching this how relatively subdued on the scale of eddie murphy this role is like he has a few big moments particularly the first time we see him when he's undercover selling cigarettes yes where he's like eddie murphy eddie murphy but then actually otherwise there's a lot of almost serious drama kind of the undercurrent because his best friend or like this friend he had from back in the day comes to see him Right. right and they hang out and then this friend is killed and he—that's the the plot—is that he goes to f- track him down where he was working in, in Beverly Hills to figure out what happened. So we like, you know, he's very serious about finding out what happened to his friend. Oh, sure. okay, right. Tell me something, fella what's going on? I've been here too long. Talk to me. Yeah, just give us a minute, okay? No, I ain't got no more minutes. Yeah, check this out. I want you to see something. You can't get no cleaning in this here. Look here. He's a very popular cigarette with the children.
1: You know what this is in here? You know what this is? It's a federal tax stamp. You can't beat that. You can't get no cleaning in that. Talk to me. Tell me something. So why don't you keep me going to business yourself if this is such a great fucking deal? I would, man, but I ain't from Detroit, you know, and I don't know nobody in town that can handle a job this big, but y'all supposed to got all the connections, you know, but tell me something. I'm a businessman.
0: I'm gonna
1: sit down, do what you want to do. You're right; it ain't easy to get rid of this. Sh- no, but see, I'm a businessman.
0: You know, this is my thing. I'm doing business here. For a, a fish out of water story, it actually doesn't lean that heavily on that aspect. I was expecting a lot more like wackiness. This is, you know, no, it's, it's, it's a crime. Snobby. It's a cop it's a, movie. Yeah, it is absolutely a cop movie, and you know, it has it plays off the dynamic between him and then Judge Reinhold and John Ashton was Detective Billy Rosewood and his partner, Rosewood Detective and Taggart. Rosewood and Taggart, baby. Who oh, are yeah. are pretty charming together. Absolutely. I think they have a really nice dynamic yep. as, like, this kind of uh They've obviously been partners for a while, and Rosewood is uh, the kind of naive one, and Taggart is always uh, a little exasperated with them. And, you know, you have some famous moments, including uh, Axel putting bananas in the tailpipe of their car does that work i don't know but i'm sure many people tried it after seeing it in the movie i guarantee
1: i would i don't know i would bet all the money in the world that there's a myth busters about it though I'm sure there is but you can, know, you, can, can you stop a
0: car with a, with a, a banana three, in the tailpipe? three bananas oh it's three yeah it okay is, good yeah. glad we cleared that up but uh I, you know this is a movie that basically and i think that this is something we can talk about uh, and coming around to Top Gun as well, it is a movie that rests very heavily on the charisma of Eddie Murphy. It basically, it's, it's a pretty slack uh, story in terms of any the crime that's being solved. It's about an evil right, art stupid. gallery well,
1: owner. Well, it's funny you say that because I think um, John Landis, who ended up directing the third Beverly Hills Cop, has gone on record saying that he, when he read the script for Beverly Hills Cop because they wanted him to direct it. He thought it was like the worst script he had ever read. You know, when it was back when it was a Stallone thing. But then the movie was so great because basically Eddie Murphy just, you know, he, he took over. He and just
0: carries it. He yes. carries it.
1: Exactly. So that was why he made the third one because he was like, well, the script is terrible, but Eddie Murphy will save it. Just like he did the first one. It didn't yes. maybe work out that <laughs> it way. But didn't work out so well. But, like, yeah. you know, he is
0: really – he's very charismatic in this role as Absolutely. much as like there's there are whole parts of this movie where you feel like – There's, like, almost no forward motion, and yet he makes it work. He makes it completely watchable. Well, let's talk about,
1: I mean, that, you're, what, you could also be describing Flashdance. Yes. I mean, it's really about Jennifer Beals, who is, who, even though she's not doing the dancing, she is a striking presence. She's beautiful, and she's sort of interestingly beautiful. You know, she's quirky, and she, the camera does love her, and, and that's a big part of it. And there is no plot in that movie. It's just watching her dancing and dreaming and all that sort of thing, and we could basically do this for all of the Simpson-Bruckheimer movies. That's what I think was so interesting. When I watched these movies and thought about it, I wrote a piece on CriticWire this week on my blog, which you can find if you just search my name and the Bruckheimer hero. They're all about the same character, all of their movies. It doesn't matter what genre, whether it's a dancing movie, whether it's a cop movie, whether it's a a, a fighter pilot movie, that main character is always the same. It's always that fish, out, a little fish out of water, the dreamer, mm-hmm. the outcast, who's in a world that basically laughs at them initially and they don't fit in and that they're intimidated by a little bit but then they always rise to the occasion and that outsider status whatever makes them weird is what makes them special right right that that she's a dancer who dances she's an exotic dancer but and break dancer but that's why she's bringing
0: some of the something from the streets into into the the conservatory conservatory, and it sets her apart and axel foley bringing Right, Something from the smart, streets. Street From to Detroit.
1: Beverly Hills. Yeah. Uh, the D- Beverly Hills detective. Uh, you know, and Tom Cruise. What's his character name in Top Gun? Maverick. He's the Maverick. And so, really, you could name every character in a Jerry Bruckheimer movie Maverick. Yeah. All the way down to Captain Jack Sparrow. Same exact thing, you know. And we could, you could, I, I, I write about more in the piece, but I think that's fascinating. And for some reason, that really resonated in the 80s. Yeah.
0: But anyway, so Beverly Hills Cop, streaming on Netflix.
1: All right. This is fantastic, because I really wanted, at one point, I really tried to get Allison to do a Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson you podcast. You did, but we're
0: accidentally doing one You now. didn't want it, but yeah. I, I told
1: her I was going to make it happen anyway, and I feel like I just did. Yeah,
0: thank let's, you.
1: Let's get through the last couple picks here very quickly, because we're starting to go long. Uh, and this is a nice segue, because it's another Eddie Murphy movie. Could we Should we perhaps give him maybe like star of the 80s like is he one of the defining actors of the 1980s between he he beverly hills it was a great 48 hours you know coming to america and then my movie which might be one of the best of all of them directed by john landis who we just mentioned it's trading places from 1983 available on netflix and i said uh, earlier that i thought wall street was one of maybe the two defining 80s movies but i think this is if you can't watch wall street because it's not on Netflix. Uh, I think this is a nice supplement. This would make a great double feature with Wall Street, don't you think? Because it's about sort of a more humorous look at that sort of greed is good capitalism. It's about these two men whose destinies cross just when they bump into each other on the street. It's uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. He's this wealthy, I don't know, insider, trader, whatever he does. He's a stock market guy. He's a a genius at uh, the stock market. Eddie Murphy is a beggar, basically, a homeless guy, whatever he is living on the street they bump into each other literally on the street one day Aykroyd, who's you know basically who's essentially racist assumes this guy who bumped into him is trying to steal his briefcase uh, Eddie Murphy eventually gets arrested for it and Ackroyd's employers look at the situation they, they're these two brothers who just bicker all the time and they're horrible horrible human beings
0: ah, Ezra right on time I bet you thought I'd forgotten your Christmas bonus there you are Five dollars. Maybe I'll go to the movies by myself. Half of it is from me. Thank you, Mr. Mortimer.
1: And they've been having this argument about nature versus nurture, and they find that this is a good opportunity for an experiment. They will build Eddie Murphy's character, Billy, uh, Billy Ray Valentine, up. They will turn him into... Dan Aykroyd's character, while destroying Dan Aykroyd's character, take everything away from him and see, is it the environment that produces the human being or is it the human being that uh, lives in his environment, nature or nurture? If you've never seen this movie – like, to me, this movie is, like, an iconic classic, and I assume everyone has seen it, but I really don't know these days. Do you think everyone has seen Trading Places? I don't think so.
0: I don't think so at all.
1: Yeah. Well, if you haven't seen it, it is incredibly funny. Jamie Lee Curtis, also fantastic in this movie. Uh, as – as I guess it's a type. She's sort of the hooker with a heart of gold, I suppose. But in this movie, it's kind of wonderful because she's, like, the only person with a heart of gold in this movie. Everyone in this movie is, you know, it's just, like, horrible. Even the the even the, uh, the heroes, quote-unquote. Trading Places, available on Netflix – Another uh, Eddie Murphy, John Landis uh, classic.
0: All right. Well, we couldn't do a podcast about the 80s without getting at least one John Hughes film in there. Absolutely not. So uh, my next pick is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986 film currently streaming on Netflix. It's interesting that John Hughes made these movies about the strata of high school and, like, The Breakfast Club, which is your classic, like, everyone fits into this category. And even though the point of the film is that they don't, you know, they're more than that, they really do fit into those categories, right? The jock, the princess, the, the outcast. Uh, so it, it's really interesting that he made this movie in which the main character, Ferris Bueller, played by Matthew Broderick, doesn't really fit a typical high school type, you know. He's, he's a maverick. He is. Well, he he is he is like a fantasy character, right? Like everyone likes him. Yes. He's smart, but he's not a nerd. He gets along with like to the point where not just everyone in his high school likes him, and he's presented as almost a guru, right? Yeah. Um, but that he's a transcendental figure. He is that the whole community. He's almost religious. Uh, he's a whole almost a community religious icon. Who rallies around oh, yeah. him. You know, when the just the the idea Save that he Ferris. might be sick. Yes, everyone is like ready to come to his. his his rescue which i think is what like you know if there's the the ferris fight club theory which is that ferris Ruler does not exist he is just a fantasy in the right. mind of cameron yes. fry yes, played I've by heard alan this. ruck I've heard which this i think theory. you know it's a pretty uh, not necessarily supported though not necessarily disproven by what is in the film but i think the spirit of it is interesting because ferris is this such an outsized character right. that you can he is for like In the world of a John Hughes movie, a fantasy. There is a Tyler Durdenish quality to him. Yes, exactly. He is like everything so charismatic, so magnetic. Yeah, and everything goes well. He can kind of make all of these things happen, except for the one certain incident with the car. (laughs) But uh, otherwise, seems magical. He really does like make all of these things happen, Uh, and you know Matthew Broderick is he manages to make this character who could potentially be like a, a little obnoxious into someone who is intensely likable. And uh, you know, it's, this is probably one of the most rewatchable films I can think of. It's one that if it's on TV, you're going to sit there and watch it because yep. how can you not? It's got so many joyous moments. Uh, Has from, a
1: great, another musical, several musical several moments. Several musical moments, yeah. yeah from, and the theme song is so iconic with the, ooh. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and That wasn't
1: very good, but you that, know what I'm doing. I, I, got, I got it. You got, I got it.
0: it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it's funny that someone who's so, this this guy is so known for portraying some of the like the pain of high school along with it being funny like made this film that is basically it's like almost free of that pain right it is like it just pure like bliss about being young and having the world at your feet essentially like even if you have to kind of make that happen
1: there's bueller's online too Hey, Mr. Rooney, how you doing? Listen, uh, I'm sorry to disturb you at work, but I'm not feeling very well today. And I was wondering if it might be possible for my sister to bring home any assignments for my classes that I might need. Have a nice day. (coughs) Mr. Peterson? Um, no, I I, I think I owe you an apology, sir.
0: Well, I should say you do. I, uh, I, I, I... Well, I think you should be sorry, for Christ's sake. A family member dies, and you insult me. What the hell is the matter with you anyway? So that is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, available for streaming on Netflix.
1: All right. Well, we had to get a little bit, I think, a little bit more action in here, for my taste. This is not, 80s, I think, a lot of action movies. We had to get a little more in there. And here's a movie that I had seen before, maybe twice, maybe three times when I was much younger. I hadn't revisited in a long time, and generally find the series that followed to be unbearable. Perhaps the worst let's go out on a limb i'm gonna say it it's the worst franchise maybe in history maybe the transformers gives it a run for the money but this is an unbelievably bad franchise but I actually think having re- just rewatched it there is merit to the original movie i think it's actually worth watching it's highlander from 1986 directed by russell mulcahy available on netflix and rewatching it this time on netflix alison here's my theory are you ready for it i'm ready highlander is the lost of movies Okay, because it's this really elaborate mythology that is awesome when you don't think about it and when you don't know anything about it, when you get those first few moments when it's a mystery, it is really intoxicating because it starts with you're in this wrestling arena. There's a wrestling match going on. There's these beautiful shots. I couldn't believe how much better shot this movie is than I thought. It's a really good looking movie. It's very atmospheric, very stylish. And all of a sudden we're down in like the bowels of Madison Square Garden, and these two dudes in suits are are fighting with swords. And one of them beheads the other one, and there's electricity powers, and it's very strange. And then we flash back to Scotland, and one of the two guys is there, and he's he's seemingly the same age, and he doesn't have a Scottish accent for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. And You don't really understand what's going on, but there's something interesting about it. There's something very appealing about it. And it is a really stylish movie. Then they start explaining everything, and they're immortals, and they have to kill each other, and they're immortal except that they – well, you can't die unless you get your head cut off, which seems like a really weird way to determine like immortality and death because it's very specific, but seemingly it's a strange weakness to have. Nonetheless, the the more they explain, the less you like it. But I think that there's something to – the look of it, the style of it, the, the idea of just like this guy dressed in modern dress walking around with a samurai sword. It's sort of an image that's popped up in a few movies. And all the sequels are horrible. They're unwatchable. And, and that's being kind. They're just brutal. But there's something to this movie. And rewatching it, I really thought there there is something here. I get now why they kept trying to remake it or make sequels the thing is you can't make a sequel to a movie that's called you know the the tagline is there can be only one when that is your tagline you have ruined any possibility of sequels nonetheless they tried
0: i don't like boats i don't like water i'm a man not a fish you complain endlessly You look like a woman, you stupid haggis. Haggis? What is haggis? Sheep's stomach stuffed with meat and barley. And what do you do with it? (gasps) You eat it. Revolting. Be still, for God's sake. You'll tip us over. So? I cannot swim, you Spanish peacock. I'm not Spanish. I'm Egyptian. You said you were from Spain. You're a liar. You have the manners of a goat. And you smell like a dung heap. And you have no knowledge whatsoever of your potential. Now,
1: get out! If you've never seen Highlander, and you're willing to sort of just accept the mystery parts, you'll enjoy it. It's a really beautiful-looking movie. Maybe one of the better-looking action movies of the 80s. It's Highlander. It is available on Netflix.
0: All right, and uh, one last pick. We've got... um... Another classic. I, you know, I wanted to fit in a romantic comedy in here, but there really weren't any that uh, I wanted to do. When Harry Met Sally, but it's it's only on Xfinity Stream Picks, and it's expiring soon. Okay. So instead, I went with another kind of teen sort of action movie. Which is you're the, the best. You're the best. The Karate Kid. It's I, the best. It is the best. 1984 I, streaming on. Netflix. I demanded one
1: of us when we saw that it was available. I said one of us has to do Karate. I, Kid. I, I Had to. Yeah. And
0: you know, I think that this is a movie that is it's one that it's like a pretty it's a really well-made movie for you know that but just look we didn't intend this on purpose Alison but look at this is another
1: movie about an outsider <laughs> yes. fish out of water story yes. he comes from what jersey
0: Newark, yes. He comes from
1: Newark. He goes to California. To the he's valley. an outsider. He's an outcast. He's weird. He doesn't fit in. But there's something special about him as in there, Allison.
0: There is. And he, you know, he, he, he works hard and he succeeds. And yep. spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Ralph, Ralph Macchio as Danny LaRusso. Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. Elizabeth Shue as Ellie Mills. Uh, and as you said, it's about uh, how Daniel LaRusso moves from New Jersey, reluctantly, with his mom yep. to California yeah where he he, he has a tough time but he also like he, he doesn't have that you know like he's not a loner like he meets people immediately he meets and what I really like is that you know his relationship with Elizabeth shoe's character gets actually a fair amount of screen time like mm-hmm. they spend time together yeah. she is not like um, they get to go on a date they go on dates they kind of uh, you know ha- they have like a really kind of cute rapport yes. which she is not just kind of the girl who is snagged as part of his you know move towards the karate dominance <laughs> it is not you know she's like no, uh, you absolutely Right. She's like a pretty well-formed character as as love interests go, and but you know the heart of this movie is um, is Danny's relationship with Mr Miyagi, and I, it is really sweet. Like it is really well handled. You know, given that this is a movie that's uh, basically about. An exotic culture as filtered through white experience right mr miyagi is by far one of the best depictions of an asian character in this era it, like 1984 was also the year of 16 candles Ooh, and long duck interesting yeah you know, which is i think still uh, like a really horrible black mark on like t- on hollywood's record and and really not that long ago um, right yeah you know, like as much as Mr. Miyagi kind of breaks down to a lot of uh, catchphrases, uh, sure. stilted catchphrases, and the accent and, and the and accent, like he is also like, uh, like given a lot of nobility and, right. uh, you know, a really kind of sad backstory in which he fought for the U.S. and while his family was put into an internment camp and, you know, and despite that is not bitter about his service, at least. And I think
1: that he sort of rises above the stereotype that he what, does, is what, yeah. what you're saying.
0: Did you fix my bike? I. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Are those real trees? Would you like sea? Come inside. Well, thanks. I think it's so small.
1: I train. Here, Thai there. Where did you learn how?
0: Japan? Okinawa. What is that? My country. Uh, China here, Japan here, Okinawa here. It's, uh, it, it's really not as bad as as many as it of them could be then yeah I, I don't know I, th- I think that he's he's really not, i think he gets unfairly maligned given mm-hmm. that um i mean the, i think the thing that you would argue is just that it is this is a movie about a lot of white people you know kind of glomming on <laughs> to karate a but, case could be made i suppose right
1: and but, let me tell you something in the 80s we we loved it i had the Karate Kid headband you know was this was a thing this yes. is another this is like the zeitgeist we were talking about that, like catching a zeitgeist and turning it into its own thing like every kid wanted to to be the karate kid after this
0: yeah well i think that and you know because it makes karate look great yes Uh, and i think that you know one of the things that's like going back and looking at this movie again was that it's directed by john uh john g avildsen by who directed rocky as well by the way uh that
1: and there may be a few minor similarities (laughs) between the two and
0: and other films that we've talked about yes uh i i think that one of the things that's interesting about the way this film is structured is that You know, as big as the tournament looms in it, it's really not that much in the runtime, you know, this is like a two hour movie. It's really left to like the last, I think, 15 or 20 minutes. Whereas I, th- I feel like these days the tournament aspect would like grow to take up like half the movie and something similar. But this the movie. The point of the movie is really his relationship, you know, his relationship with Ali and his relationship with Mr. Miyagi and with his mom as well. You know, that these are that that's given a lot of time. The training is given a lot of time. Uh, And what happens towards the end is just a realization of how he's grown as a person. Um, So that is The Karate Kid, a classic streaming on Netflix.
1: We're very pleased once again to be sponsored by MoviePass this week. MoviePass lets you watch unlimited movies in theaters around the country for a flat monthly rate. You check in using an app on your smartphone and buy your ticket with a membership card, and it works for any new release, though it doesn't cover 3D or IMAX.
0: If you go to the movies several times a month, you might want to check MoviePass out. Uh, do the math, it might work out for you. Instead of paying per ticket, you pay a flat fee for the month that gets you entry to one film per day. Check out moviepass.com slash filmspotting for more info and use the offer code filmspotting to get ten dollars off the first month of your subscription. You guys really are cowboys. What's your problem, Kazansky? You're
1: everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Ice man.
0: I am dangerous. Maverick, you and Goose get your butts out of that flight gear and up to Viper's office now. Now it's time for the listener's choice review and narrowly beating out a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III is Top Gun, the 1986 film directed by the late Tony Scott, currently streaming on Netflix. You know, as we said, the 1980s were the era of the blockbuster, uh, the decade that came into what was promised by Jaws and films like that. It's also the decade uh, that was reliant on stars in a way that I think our blockbusters aren't today. You know, these days you see much more kind of unknowns or actors who are basically just picked because they're photogenic and hopefully they look good on screen and can line read. But uh, it's the franchise or the effects that are the star that come first. Uh, But Top Gun is all about Tom Cruise as Pete Maverick Mitchell, a naval aviator. You know, uh, Cruise was not quite 24 when this film came out. Uh, he'd already had a few lead roles under his belt risky business and legend Uh, but this really cemented his celebrity and I think he does hold up as a a testament to star power in this way he's very watchable here as the cocky but still immature maverick who's one hell of an instinctive pilot but maybe not a reliable wingman (laughs) Um, you know Tony Scott made Top Gun after The Hunger and before Beverly Hills Cop 2 which we just mentioned Uh, the film was produced by the team of Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer two of the big names in blockbusters it also stars Anthony Edwards as Maverick's Rio Goose, Val Kilmer as his rival, Tom Iceman Kaczynski, Kaczynski, excuse me, Tom Scarrett and Michael Ironside as instructors Viper and Jester, and Kelly McGillis as Charlie, the civilian instructor Maverick falls in love with. Uh, the film also features a few more now familiar faces in smaller roles, including Meg Ryan as Goose's wife, Tim Robbins as Merlin, and even Adrian Pasdar is in there in a little role as well. <laughs> I didn't see him. Yes. Um, like So many films, featuring the military, Topkin was made, in this case, with the help of the Navy, a help that comes with script approval. So, uh, Matt, I wanted to start by asking you what you thought of this film's depiction of war as Viper says, we don't make policy. And that's about as far as the movie really gestures in that direction in fact the enemy is only referred to as the other side never named they were dark helmets to obscure their features and uh the only identifying mark is you know maybe a vaguely communist affiliated red star on their planes um you know the film provided a giant boost in enlistment to the navy uh, as well as to sales of aviator glasses so what did you think of this film's maybe freedom from thought in terms of what it means to go shoot people down.
1: Yeah, that to me, that was maybe the most interesting part about rewatching it. And obviously, I've seen this movie before, but it's been quite a few years. And man, what a crazy fantasy of war this movie is. I mean, you could not make a more idealized portrait of war as a good thing. And not only like as a good thing, it's like an almost an easy thing in in, in a moral sense because, as you said, the enemy is so faceless and so generic and, and, you know, they're not identifiable as an other, you know? So it, first of all you could sell this movie anywhere around the world because it's you know it's not like you know oh we got to get those Germans and then you can't show it in Germany you know it's this unbelievable fantasy they're not even shooting anyone down this is a war without violence because what's what are they doing they're not shooting they're getting missile locks it's like all you have to do to win is just get a missile lock victory through missile lock Allison you know there's no there's no there's almost no death really other than one character who dies which I won't reveal no one dies in this movie there's no killing just chasing it's a lot of it's basically like war as a expression of personal style essentially you know that maverick gets to like very famously in one scene like beat a guy by like going upside down and kind of like flying right above his cockpit like cockpit to cockpit and he's upside down there's no killing there's no death you know it's funny you mentioned that there's no politics that they're not politicians we're just the instruments but there's there's almost no there's no there's no thought that there might be politics in this. What would there be po- to be political about? They're just a bunch of hotshot cool guys flying through the skies and missile locking each other and not shooting.
0: Yeah, I I had never really understood like not until I went back and rewatched it this time had I really realize that they never name the enemy i'd always kind of assume that it was they are the, the Russians, enemy, right but it's the enemy the right. enemy like you never there's no mention of country there's no even mention of direction when they're out when they actually have combat moments they're like in the middle of the indian ocean right right beyond that take your pick could be yeah anyone in that vicinity right it could be the bad guy exactly. i don't know maybe yeah so and and you know other than that like there's this vague sense of like when they talk about an actual conflict that happened, right, or sort of one, like um, with with Maverick's dad, they're like, oh, you know, well, the reason we can't talk about it, it because it's on the wrong side of, like, the enemy lines, but, like, you know, obviously that he was a hero. <laughs> like, so uh, you know, it's all just about. But it was, but it was, classified. It was classified. We can't talk about it, right? It, yeah, it, it's almost like-,
1: like like actual war is verboten in this movie,
0: right? Oh, and that was, was also- a
1: real war. People died. We can't we can't talk about it. Right. And in this movie, it's like all the current stuff. Well, that's actual war. We're not going to talk. This is a movie about training.
0: Yeah training awesome training awesome training and then also just like um swagger right yeah so so much of this is about posturing and being awesome being the best being number one right right war
1: is about being awesome and looking really cool with your aviator shades as you said and coming up with cool catchphrases like i feel the need for speed and having a cool catch like a sign your name like being maverick or iceman or merlin or you know everyone has a cool call sign and their own Helmets that are all decorated—it's all an expression of personal style and,
0: and swagger. Yeah. Well, so in that in that vein, yes, we, we joked about this. Like I think when we were talking about this uh, last time, but this movie is kind of infamous for accidental homoeroticism. Yes. Uh, it, it even became. Uh, the subject of a famous Quentin Tarantino monologue in a, in his like a very small role in a not very well known 1994 indie. It's best known for this monologue called "Sleep with Me," in which he he talks about at a party how quote one of the greatest scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is. Top Gun. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality <laughs> and then goes on, on this lengthy theory that is even more elaborate than the Ferris Fight Club theory um, about what the movie actually means. Was just, what do you think of the relationship between Maverick and Iceman in this? Because it is kind of like kind of, I feel like accidentally in like being so macho it crosses over often into like. Well, there you go. That's what it is. It
1: is so over the top you know, preening, posturing, being a tough dude, and uh, that it does absolutely it crosses over from like threatening to flirting. They do seem at times like they are flirting.
0: They always get up in each other's faces. Oh, yeah, they're, while they're like wearing they, towels, right? Like they <laughs> want to kiss each other. Yes.
1: You know, and they're they're like challenging each other the way they're like challenging each other the way you might. You know, like, when my wife and I met, like, our first time we ever met was at a bowling alley. And we kept, we were playing, we were, we were with a bunch of friends, but we started, like, kind of, like, challenging each other bowling. And we kind of, like, started sitting next to each other and sort of, like, being challenging and flirtatious. That is exactly <laughs> the relationship between Iceman and Maverick. To a T. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that, you know, also you see the film struggle with, the, like, how do we work a romance into this while really wanting to remain contained in the world of... The fighter this, school. The fighter school. So they have they they try as hard as possible to have Kelly McGillis's character be one of the boys, right? Even her call sign is Charlie, and right. she works there. Right. And she is also she's not a pilot because she can't be a pilot, but she is part of this world. You know, like what the film ends with them like re encountering each other, and then planes flying off into the distance as if you know like that's the real romance would be ideally if they are two pilots like flying off into this distance together but that can't happen so you have the closest thing that can happen which is her being you know
1: that's i hadn't thought about this particularly but you're you're absolutely right like in the idealized world of like a screenwriting like in terms of what a screenwriting school would tell you to do the the ideal ending is for Maverick and Iceman to become lovers and to fly fly off off together. together. You're absolutely right. That's a screenwriting school would tell you that that's the right ending of the movie. Yeah, and they would probably just write out Charlie wouldn't even be a character. I guess right, exactly
0: because I like that that aspect of the romance is it's like a little awkward. I would say because it like running parallel to the storyline because she's supposed to be using him to get information. Yeah, that doesn't quite work. Like it's a little. It's a uh, it's a little awkward, but the one thing that's
1: interesting about them now in 2013 to watch is the fact that she is so visibly older than him. Yes. she's not an old woman. No, but she's clearly I don't know maybe she's got
0: like five t- years, on five him, I to think. ten, yeah. somewhere in
1: there, and that is so the reverse of every movie we get now, where the where it's still Tom like Tom Cruise is still the romantic lead in these movies and his his girlfriends are getting young they stay it's like mcconaughey and days and confused he gets older they stay the same age you know like they're all still kelly mcgillis's age so i thought that was interesting that we were allowed to have sort of a more mature woman yeah still beautiful and sexy and alluring and and you and you get why he's into her or, pret- or pretending, depending on your perspective on the movie, but that she's allowed to be a little bit older than him. And I thought that was really refreshing yeah. now because we never see a movie like that yeah. now. Yeah.
0: And also, like, that part of the what's difficult about their romance is the fact that he is, like, a cocky kid and she... She's a little more she, mature. She's more mature. And yeah. she's, like, grown up, you know? And so... That that she kind of gets a little exasperated with him, his posturing and the way he acts, and you know his his pickup move at the bar. You know, like I, I think that especially in this movie. I have also like in this new movie, I noticed much more than I think I ever have in his later later movies that he's much shorter than a lot of the other guys, you know, he is Which shorter. He in this is. movie, And like, I think that maybe that's something as he became a kind of bigger star in this, like he grand had to be sense, that you never bigger. saw him being dwarfed by people in the way that he is in this movie. He's a little underdogish he in that a way in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, and I also, I really like his relationship with a uh, goose. I feel like they have like a real, like, they do a really good like solid friendship like bromance and I, I think that like that's it's one of the better parts of the movie as well that like they just have known each other so well
1: you know and in the idealized version we've discussed their relationship would be a bone of contention because probably goose <laughs> is in love with him <laughs> Right? He's in love with Maverick. There's no Meg
0: Ryan. Yeah, Yeah, Goose is in
1: love with Maverick, but Maverick doesn't reciprocate, and that creates some sort of tension so that, you know, perhaps at the end there's some sort of
0: sacrifice that's involved, Mm, which gives more guilt to Maverick. We've rewritten this movie. Yeah. I think that this is why in Starship Troopers, all, like, the women were allowed to fight as well, you know, so that you could, like, be like, what you really want is a romance between the soldiers and just cut out the extraneous love interest who's uh, along the side. Yeah.
1: All right, last thing. If you went to... Top Gun, Fighter School, whatever it's called. <laughs> what would your call sign be, Allison?
0: Oh, I can't, you can't just spring this on me. I don't know. What would your call sign be? I have no
1: idea. But I just thought we got to we got to maybe maybe listeners can suggest our call. Yeah, signs.
0: I, I think you can't choose your own call sign. It has to be given for it. Given you think, to You don't I think, think so. Tom Cruise walked in and was like, He's like hey, Anthony, guys, I'm Maverick. Well, come on. Do you think that uh, Anthony Edwards chose Goose? Chose Goose? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. So if you have suggestions, please Yeah, write let's to hear us.
1: them. SVU at... Uh, At filmspottingsvu.com. Send us your feedback about Top Gun, but also what should our call signs be. Maybe we'll start calling each other. We'll we'll abandon Allison and Matt, and we'll just go by whatever you guys give us. I think that would be the right thing to do. Well, that's Top Gun, and uh, it's playing in theaters now, briefly. Uh, If you hear this quick enough, I think it's still playing in theaters in IMAX 3D. One can only imagine the volleyball scene in IMAX 3D. <laughs> the rippling sweaty muscles in IMAX 3D. Uh, if you don't want to go to the theater, though, it is also available for streaming on Netflix. Okay, before we wrap things up with Behind the Eight Ball, we are going to announce the winner of our keyword game from two podcasts ago. We didn't have time to do it last show. And even though we've gone long, we're going to squeeze it in here. All right, Allison, what were the keywords we gave to our listeners on that
0: two podcasts ago. They were Small Town Racism based on book. What happened to Epilog and Locker Room? We
1: had a lot of incorrect guesses. Some different people were on the right track but not quite. Remember the Titans was a popular incorrect guess. What was the correct guess?
0: It was uh, Friday Night Lights.
1: Friday Night Lights the movie. Yes. Not as good as the TV show.
0: No, I would agree,
1: but still good. Still good. It was a Texas Texas movies was the theme that episode. That is certainly a, 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 a clear Texas movie. And ironically enough, Allison, our winner is from Texas, Eddie Strait from Austin, Texas. Congratulations. Email us, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. We will get you your prize and the winner of our previous keyword game. I've got the two prizes together. I'm going to mail them both at the same time. So don't despair. Your prizes are coming. Let's get oh, one correction from our last episode before we get to Behind the Eight Ball. I incorrectly said during our last behind the eight ball segment that the documentary undefeated was nominated but did not win the oscar for best documentary last year allison undefeated rightfully and happily did win the oscar for best documentary last year so i apologize for the the mistake i'm glad it won it was a very good documentary which you should watch so now with that in mind let's get to behind the eight ball allison you're gonna start this week yes i am all right let's begin with three new releases.
0: Okay, first off is Le Cercle Rouge, which is new on Hulu. This 1970 a French film, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville, stars so Alain Delon, Andre Bourville, uh, that's how you say it, and so on. Yves Montan as well, and all of them just look impossibly cool. Uh, this is just a great heist film uh, and one that's been very influential on people like John Woo. So it, it's it's one that is great to see just to also see how many people it's influenced that is new on hulu also new on hulu is my brilliant career 1979 australian film directed by Gillian armstrong who also did oscar and lucinda and the last days of shenu and stars a great judy davis as Sibylla, who is a free-spirited girl in the late 19th century in australia who has the opportunity to marry a young man played by Sam Neill, who is like the ideal suitor, but instead wants to maintain her independence and become a writer. Uh, It's a really charming movie. And finally, the new on Netflix is the best of youth, a 2003 Italian miniseries directed by Marco Tullio, uh, Tullio (laughs) Marco Tullio Giordana. Um, It played at Cannes in 2003 and it's like in a 354 minute run. Like it's, it was lengthy, And I think it was even longer in the form that went uh, on Italian TV, but the one on Netflix is 354 minutes. It's a family saga. It's set in Italy. It runs from like 1966 through to 2003, uh, and looks at primarily two brothers in this family going from like the '60s and the counterculture days into uh, parenthood and everything. And it's really great. It's just a very terrific, large-scale spanning of a family drama so that is the best of youth it is now playing on netflix all
1: right two expiring titles
0: first up expiring uh, february 17th from netflix is me and orson wells 2008 film from richard linklater not linklater's best but it does feature a great performance from christian mckay as orson Welles. Great. he is performance. fantastic yes and also it's got zach efron in it boom so, <laughs> so that is expiring from netflix on february 17th Expiring on February 20th is Until the Light Takes Us. This is a 2009 documentary uh, from directors Aaron Aitz and Audrey Ewell about Norwegian black metal. The most dark of metal, um, and it's uh, it includes an interview with uh, Varg Vercanus. <gasps> Not the Varg Vikernes. Uh, he is kind of he is infamous. A uh, Burzum is his band, his one person band. But you, you know, know, I know,
1: know what Varg band is called.
0: He's uh, more famous, perhaps, for killing another, murdering another musician. Uh, and oh. He I think he's interviewed in jail in oh. the documentary. So that is expiring on February twentieth.
1: Okay, and. One random film from your queue.
0: Uh, you gave me number seventy-seven, which is "Nostalgia for the Light," uh, twenty ten documentary directed by Patricio Guzmán about uh, this desert in Chile, and it's where astron- astronomers are studying stars while people are looking for uh, uh, looking through the soil for family members who are buried there because the nation has a tough political past. So uh, I've heard nothing but great things about it, but have never gotten around to seeing it. So that is Nostalgia for the Light. That's streaming on Netflix. All right, Matt, it is your turn. I'm ready. Let's do it. Uh, Three new films.
1: I'm going to start with uh, available on Crackle, a film entitled Vacancy. This is a 2007 horror film from one of my favorite sort of unsung genre directors of the moment up and coming. His name is Nimrod Antal. Uh, the movie he directed that I really, really like is named Armored. It was like a really small scale but very gritty termite art-ish crime saga. This is his like horror movie. It's a couple that's trapped at a hotel. Very classical in setup and style but very effective. It's available on Crackle for free if you've never seen it. It's worth checking out. Available on Hulu is the film Decoding Deepak, which is a documentary about Deepak Chopra made by his son, Gotham Chopra, which sounds, I know, just Awful. It sounds awful, but I thought this this movie was actually pretty interesting, and and not even so much about him, per se. It's just a documentary about a father and a son, and, and and a son who's sort of in his father's shadow, and what it's like to have a famous father and to try to deal with that. I found pretty interesting. So that's Decoding Deepak. It's available on Hulu and for our film spotting Original Recipe listeners who are following along with the Marx Brothers Marathon that film spotting is doing right now, you can watch the 12th Marx Brothers movie, A Night in Casablanca, that is now available on Hulu. I've actually never seen that one. I am a big Marx Brothers fan. I don't know how I feel about them watching all these movies and kind of bashing them. I don't know if you're following along with this marathon, Allison, on our sister show. They haven't been giving the most sterling praise to the Marx Brothers, so we may have to – I don't know how, but we may need to fix this situation somehow. Anyway – A Night in Casablanca by the Marx Brothers, available on Hulu. Two expiring films. Expiring on February 15th is actually a television show, which I watched the whole thing of with my wife. We enjoyed it. It's called, uh, well, let me say this. Allison, do you like any or all of the following things? Dirt, sex, and or money? Yes. Then you'll probably enjoy Dirty Sexy Money, which was a short-lived but entertainingly soapy television show that ran on ABC from 2007 to 2009. It was about this very powerful New York family, the darlings who rely on their lawyer to bail them out of all these tough, morally conflicted situations. It's kind of the show that I want Nashville to become. Tawdry, sleazy, a little silly, but a lot of fun with all these rich people plotting and sniping at each other with a very good cast. Peter Krause. Uh, Donald Sutherland and Jill Clayburgh, among many others, that's on Netflix until February 15th, and then expiring on February 17th on Netflix is Hugh Hefner, Playboy, Activist and Rebel, 2010 documentary about the Playboy, Activist and Rebel Hugh Hefner. Allison, this is why four out of five dentists agree. My plot summaries are really outstanding. This doc premiered at the 2009 Toronto Film Festival, features contributions from George Lucas, Bill Maher, Jenny McCarthy, Shannon Tweed, and many, many more. Allison. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to watch it this week for the articles.
0: And one expiring title.
1: You gave me number 33, which this time is Basquiat, Julian Schnabel's film about the legendary New York graffiti artist. I have to admit, even though I love The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, one of my like all-time favorite movies, that movie just changed my life, essentially. I've never seen Basquiat. I've never seen Julian Schnabel's uh, first first feature film. I don't know why I haven't gotten around to it yet, but... I have to at some point. Have you seen it? Is it worth my time?
0: Yeah, it is. I, I like it.
1: All right. Well, I'll have to watch it. Basquiat, that's uh, on Netflix. Okay, normally at, on the show, we would do our listener's choice options now, but we're actually going to issue listener's choice for our next episode, and that is because our next episode, God and the technology lords and my equipment willing, is going to be our live show. Certainly the live show is going to happen but uh, we're hoping it will record and we'll be able to use that as our next episode, Allison. Uh, if you haven't gotten your tickets, we have a very few left. Uh, they are available now at videology.info. It's going to be Saturday, February 23rd at 6.30. Tickets are $8. You get a movie, which is going to be compliance. You get a QA and a with director Craig Zobel. He's going to be joining us via Skype. So we'll talk to him after the movie. And we're going to be doing a a slightly modified version of our usual podcast. You want to tell people what we'll be talking about, Allison?
0: Well, we will be talking about uh, House of Cards. That's going to be our main, in lieu of a listener's choice review. Yes. Uh, So, you know, it's the Netflix original series. Right, it's available uh, now. First two episodes directed by David Fincher, uh, written by Bo Willimon, who is a playwright as well. So we're going to be digging into that since, you know, it is a kind of important moment in streaming this is a very big deal and we threw
1: it out on Twitter if people would be interested by by overwhelmingly people said yes we want to hear you guys talk about it so we think this is something everyone who's got Netflix at least will be able to watch uh, before we get there so it'll be out for a while you could maybe do a little spoilery discussion yeah
0: I don't know if we're going to jump right to whatever happens in the last episode but you know you've got some time to to dig into it at least a little yes Uh, and you know it's one that I'm really interested to talk about right you are as well
1: so that's going to be sort of the main review Uh, we're going to also talk about what it represents because this is a like allison said this is a big thing so we're going to talk about binge watching we're going to be talking about television in the age of netflix uh we'll do that maybe we'll do a very brief segment on the oscars which will be the next day for the live audience we'll make our predictions and maybe have some sort of really silly wager and uh we're also going to do some giveaways i've got a huge stack of dvds and blu-rays right next to me allison i mean it is big
0: it is. So it's we'll play the almost key falling down on you actually. Yeah, so we're
1: going to play the keyword game and I think we've 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 talked some other ideas for things. And uh, we've got some deep we got the Blu-rays, we got the DVDs. I already talked about we got maybe we'll have some free drinks for people cuz Videology is a, as a bar as well. So it's going to be a good time. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, please come out. Uh, we're really excited that so many people have bought tickets already. We've got a few still available. And again, Saturday, February 23rd, 6:30, and you can buy your ticket at videology.info.
0: And you can send your feedback for the episode in general to svu at com. FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discussed on the episode. The FilmSpottingSVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the TV review, in this case, of our, our choice. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Wilmore and Twitter.com slash Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at film spotting svu that's where we announce the winner of each show's listeners choice though there won't be one in this next episode it's also where we share more streaming suggestions from svu listeners for film spotting svu i'm allison wilmore and i'm Matt singer thanks for listening